Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Ramen Profitable. My name is Atish Mazumdar, and I've got my trusty co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing your ideas, taking those first steps, and overcoming your obstacles in the way of entrepreneurship. Enjoy. We made it. Proof of concept. We got out the the rough pilot episode. Um, Many thanks to you and your technical wizardry, because I wouldn't know how to do that. But we got the proof of concept episode out. and Yeah, we're live on all the platforms, I believe. Oh, beautiful. So now we're well on our way. This is our second episode of Ramen Pro... Did we call that episode one as opposed to episode zero? Like we were kind of... I didn't even add a number to it. So I, I I can add a number to it if we want. No, let's just call that episode zero and let's call that this episode one. It's it's numberless. Or maybe we just don't do numbers. This is all, you know. Yeah, no numbers. I feel like numbers confuse everything. <laughs> yeah, and uh, numbers and charts and graphs, which uh, for any new uh, listeners is an allusion to how many times I brought up charts and graphs in uh, CSS. In our previous podcast. In the previous podcast, uh, yeah. So I'm trying to take on this uh, this book. I mean, it's it's the basic story is that um, this guy gets falsely imprisoned because I think some guy in higher political office wants to marry his wife, uh, or is just like jealous of what he has or something like that. So he gets him falsely imprisoned for treason, and then while he's there serving out his lifetime sentence in like the gulag. Um, he meets this guy who talks about this treasure that you know he can't recover because now he's too old, so he sends him out to go do it. So he escapes from prison, gets this treasure, uh, and assumes a false identity. Like he becomes the the Count of Monte Cristo. Like he assumes this new false identity, and uh, then he like plans his revenge. And the story is basically about like how revenge may seem like a good idea at the time, but it actually ends up consuming his personality so much that like there's nothing of his old life left. All he is is like completely consumed by revenge. Uh-huh. So And it's know. and it's a million pages long and you're gonna have it done by the end of the week? No, no, no way I'm gonna have it done by the end of the week because not only um not only is it a million pages long, but also, I mean, that was that was the goal, right? I was reading one book a week to finish 52 books this year, but this one's certainly going to drag me. Like, there's no way that I can actually complete this uh, that quickly. You'd have to do a supplemental book for the next six weeks, one that's <laughs> like 40 pages long. Yeah, I might just read like a quick little, uh, oh, okay, so that reminds me of, um, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into this and... Uh, I actually, I had a couple things I wanted to bring up today and I wanted to, I'm, I'm giving you the heads up right now. This is a little bit of a surprise, but I'm just going to go ahead and give you the heads up now that, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to dive in a little bit more. We touched on it yesterday or not yesterday, uh, last episode, but I want to dive a little bit more into the Elephant Scout origin story. Okay. Because uh, you have become somewhat of a guru in terms of uh, like taking first steps or kind of knowing when things like when you should just be actionable as opposed to just ruminating on things. These were all topics that we kind of discussed on CSS that I wanted to port over before we went into completely new uncharted territory. Uh huh. So I kind of wanted to dive a little bit more into the elephant scout origin story to see if I could pull on some threads there because I myself, I'm, I'm kind of nibbling at this new project idea that I have uh, that later on in the episode, I'll go ahead and run by you, see what you think. But I want to see where you started with Elephant Scout such that I could use that to inform, you know, where I'm at and my first steps and that sort of thing. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed. Uh, but before we get into any of that, um, I, had this, I had this kind of idea, this other idea I wanted to run by you that Instead of like a, a weekly check-in, hey, how are you? How was your week? All that kind of stuff. Um, do you know uh, what the concept of a Pyrrhic victory is? Uh, I know you've talked about it before <laughs> and multiple times, and I still don't know what it is. What it yeah, means, yeah, fair, fair. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
it alludes to uh, this this uh, war, ancient Greece, that whole thing. Um, you know, and I've realized that one of my super weaknesses uh, in general is history. Like, I'm really bad with history. Okay. Because I just don't know stuff. But um, uh, a Peric victory is essentially, it, it can be, like, implied in both ways. Like, you either have a victory that is, like, a complete win and you... you uh, even though you have successfully like pushed back the enemy or something like that, it's a hollow victory. So meaning that nothing, you didn't actually gain anything out of it, or it has the secondary meaning, which is the one that I'm implying, which is that even if you lose what you end up gaining from it, like whether that's experience or whatever, even if you lose, um, you still you still get something out of it. So it's technically a loss. A Peric victory is actually a loss, but something that you end up feeling like you gained something out of. You know what okay. I mean? So in that regard, I kind of figured we could uh, recap some key events from the past week in, uh, in a little segment I like to call, named after John Danaher, uh, Win or Learn. Do, 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 do. Win yeah. or Learn. That's where we can do a secondary clap and, and get some uh, music in there once we produce that <laughs> or some some title music or something. All right. So what did you win or learn this win and learn this week? Yeah. OK. So win or learn win or lose. There's no losing. There's only learning. Precisely. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing. Right. It's like we don't we don't take losses. We exclusively uh, learn things from from these uh, kind of negative experiences that, that so it actually turns it into a win. Right. So uh, my overt win, my thing that was just a uh, total win this week is that, you know, I, I have this natural tendency, as you know, potentially listeners of CSS would know or anyone who's getting acquainted with this podcast is going to pick up on pretty quick that I have this tendency to sort of um, defer like say like, oh, you know, I, I'm going to need more degrees to be an expert in that, or I'm going to need like some certification or something. Or I always just like defer my opinion because I think that I don't have any expertise. I think that I don't, you know, which at, at best is just like a little, it's at best it can be, um, you know, self-aware, but at worst that can actually be something that really kind of kills your career over time. Because if you're constantly just deferring to someone else, or if you constantly don't think that you're good enough, I mean, where's that going to get you? Right. Uh huh. So I generally have this kind of like that kind of negative self-talk going on or whatever, but this week, um, we had some really kind of complicated problems going on at work. We had, you know, some issues, uh, with some huge major orders that everyone was just asking, like, well, I don't know. Here's my opinion, but I don't know. Like nobody was really saying this is this is what happened definitively. This is what we need to do and this is where it'll get us. Like nobody was trying to make that claim. Nobody was trying to take ownership of this. So, I realized that nobody's nobody's engaging on this. Even some like higher level leadership above me wasn't. So, I was like, "All right, you know what? This is a perfect time. I may not feel like I'm an expert or I may not think that I'm qualified, certified, you know, all this kind of stuff." But I was like, you know what, let me just, um, I feel like I know what I'm talking about here and let's just, let's just go for it. So, uh, I, I just took the reins on the situation, told them what, what my interpretation of what happened was, and then told them what I think the best case scenario, like, here's what we need to do. Here's the actions that we need to take out of this. Like, here are the steps we need to create this X, Y, Z order to do this and get them a credit memo for this ship back, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all about this really complicated order that happened about a month ago now. Um, and, uh, and everyone was like, wow, great job. Like, thank you so much for your input and, you know, whatever. And we just did that. Now, and they whether, fired you. Yeah, I mean, they might. They might. <laughs> <laughs> they might. It's, it's still unclear because we still haven't completely, like, fixed the situation. We're going to see if this fixes the situation, right? So okay, okay. Uh, that's, that's yet to be seen. But for me, the big win was actually just not... Not even saying like self-defeating things sort of in emails like, well, I can't be sure, but in my opinion, you know, like I always, I always qualify statements too much because I, I'm playing it safe. Right. This time I was just like, all right, look, here's what I think, like, here's where I think the problem stems from. It's because we advanced shipped a bunch of items so that as soon as uh, the, the customer signed the, the contract, they could take reception of it so that that way they can immediately spend their budget money, which was going out, and we can immediately recognize revenue. Mm -hmm. 
So we advanced shipped a bunch of stuff, but now some of the stuff, because we shipped in surplus because we didn't know what the end negotiated order would actually look like. So as a result, there was a bunch of stuff that was out there that had to get shipped back, but then there was a bunch of stuff that they still hadn't taken reception of. So it was all like, where's everything? Where's this? Where's that? Like, how do we fix this? And I was like, all right, here's what our situation is currently. Here's where we need to be. Here's the steps that we need to take in between that'll get us there. So just like someone to clear out the noise, basically, because everyone was nobody wanted to take ownership of like what next steps we actually had to do. So whether or not that actually pays off, we'll <laughs> we'll find out. But I was just happy with myself that, you know, I didn't let it slide to somebody else who has more authority or something like that. I just. Right. And you you're kind of owning up to this new position you're in. Well, you're, right. you know, they've framed you as an expert in something. Exactly. And now you're just taking that to the next level. So you're proving you have room to grow within the company to do more than just what you're doing at the moment. Yeah. And I, and I think ultimately that, that that ends up reflecting in all things, right? Like ultimately, if I do want to be an entrepreneur, whether that's just even to have a side hustle or whether that's to get a side hustle that turns into a main hustle or, you know, whatever, that, that sort of thing. It's like ultimately you have to be able to have faith and rely on yourself and your knowledge that even if I don't know now, I'm going to find out. Right. 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 So, so that was kind of a, that was kind of my win for the week. Now for my learn, uh, I could actually use your input on this because, because you have an elephant scout team now, right? Uh, yeah, I guess I have a team now or a, or a collective, or I don't know what you artists call it. Uh, we, we haven't defined it yet. And I think we might have to soon, but we we're not going to do that for a while. Mm. It's a team. Yeah, we're a team. We're a group of people that like to work together. You're a group of people. Yeah. Yeah, we're a group of people. <laughs> um, so, so here's kind of this interesting uh, situation that this particular role has gotten me into. So I don't technically work in any department. Like, I'm kind of a solitary person. I work on my own team. Mm -hmm. I'm... I'm and I just like fix things wherever, wherever situations arise, I just like go and I, I fix these problems. Right. So for me, um, but I have to work very closely with one particular member of this other team and he, like, I have to delegate stuff to him. Now here's the problem. I'm not actually his manager. I can't tell him to do something versus not do something. But at the end of the day, he has to do something that is a product that he has to deliver to me. Right. It, it ultimately. So in order for me to do my job, I have to tell him to do something and he has to then deliver that to me in a timely and an accurate fashion. So it's like it's basically like I'm a manager without any administrative powers. Right. Like I can't he there's there's nothing like he owes me stuff, but there's nothing I could do to enforce it. You see what I'm saying? Right. You have to, yeah, you have to like play head games and. Yeah, exactly. So, so that kind of came to a head this week and like, I've just been, it's, it's been, you know, week to week, I've been changing my approach on how I want to deal with this person because have you ever met somebody who just isn't like, you know, you know, when you meet someone and they really speak the same language as you and you just get it, like you guys, you guys click their work ethic is very similar to your own, even though their ideas might be different, their, their process is similar or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. This is the opposite of that. Like this guy, um, it's like, I'm super motivated, obviously, because I really want to do a good job. I want people to know me as a hard worker. I want to do a really good job. And like, I don't want to just get the job done. I want to amaze people. I want people to be like, oh my God, that, what would we do without this guy? You know, whatever. It's a, it's a troublesome economy. You have to prove your value to people. Otherwise, you're, you're not doing anything, right? Exactly. So this guy is just like, I don't know. He's just motivated by something else that I just can't pick up on because he doesn't really care about solving the problems correctly or doing his due diligence. He constantly needs me to check his work, um, which is like additional to me. It's like, I shouldn't have to be doing that at this point. You know what I mean? Like there's, I shouldn't have to be constantly checking your work and telling you every, like I'm holding this guy's hand every step of the way, which then is detracting from my ability to get ahead of stuff. Like if uh -huh. I, it's like at that point, I might as well be doing your job for you. 
And so I could, you know, my learning experience from this week is that I could kind of feel myself getting pretty frustrated by this, this week, because we just had some high intensity stuff that had to come, you know, this has to be turned around today, or this was kind of an emergency situation. And this guy just isn't on the same page. Like I'm trying to get to the yes by any means necessary, right? Uh Because... Because, you know, we already have enough, uh, we already have enough obstacles to go over with like negotiation with the end customer and like all that kind of stuff. And city councils are really complicated and like getting all these contracts ironed out, super complicated stuff. We already have enough obstacles externally. I don't want to have any obstacles internally. And so, you know, I I was kind of like trying to think to myself, like, how can I do a better job managing this person without being authoritative because Mm -hmm. on the one hand at first I was trying to be like oh I'm going to be super hands-off I don't want to be too pressure like I don't want to put too much pressure on this person I don't want to come off as a hard ass I want to be you know kind of removed from this but then when just the results I wasn't getting the results that I needed um the the work wasn't really getting done to a satisfactory you know degree and then also just um you know, it just, uh, I don't know. I, I just wasn't satisfied with the performance this week and I know that I could coach it out. But then by the time like midweek sort of arrived, I was already sort of like frustrated and kind of aggravated about it. So uh-huh. then, so then, you know, when I tried to be a little bit more hands-on, I was probably being a little bit too, not aggressive. That's like the wrong term for it. But like, I was probably being a little bit too like, you know, not being a good coach. I was kind of, I was kind of just like taking things out of the person's hands and being like, okay, well, let me show you what you need to do and blah, blah, blah. But I wasn't being a good coach about it. So how do you as like, cause you kind of also have a, have a similar sort of thing going on where it's like, you've got a team of people and you all have sort of end goals that, you know, you need each other for to some degree or another. How do you kind of like walk that line between, you know, managing people, but then also not being too like hands on. Um, I think there's for me, there's a lot of uh, nudging messages. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, like uh, I have a social media person now. Uh huh. And so we had an agreement that we're going to post every day at 11 a.m. And the last couple of weeks, that hasn't really been happening uh. because uh, she's been traveling and she just got back to her home base this week, earlier this week, and she's like settling into her life, basically, right? Yeah. So uh, it's a lot of, uh, hey, is this post ready to go? And if it is, then I can do it and kind of support her that way. Mm-hmm. Or like, what do you, what else do you need me to line up for as what well, uh, in regards to content for the week? Like, how many memes do you need? How many pictures do you need? How many videos do you need? And then we kind of go from there, so that way. She could take a day and kind of set it up in this program that we both have access to. And I could support her and I could let her know that, hey, I'm looking for this stuff and I'm seeing what she's doing and I appreciate it. So that's what that's what I do. So you you kind of uh, you kind of do things kind of more in the the voice of like less like I mean, it's it's implied that obviously, hey, by this day we need this. But but you kind of frame it more in a like, hey, you know, we have this deadline coming up, essentially. How can I support you? What do you need? Like, let me let me kind of just, like, be there so that you can get what you need from me so that you can get what we need out of this. Right. Because then if that person cares about my uh, opinion at all or my, I guess, respect is a word or my uh, authority, I don't yeah. know. Those all sound very uh, weird, like too strict. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, get, I get what you mean. Uh it lets them know that I'm also uh, supporting them and trying to support me. So it's not just a one-way street. Yeah. And then I also try and think of ways to help out that person and like how it benefits them as opposed to just benefiting me. Mm. And so I think if I say, hey, this is we're running behind on post every day. At, we're missing our deadline every day for posts. What if we try doing this, like giving suggestions to make it easier so everyone is happy at the end of the day? It's kind of, I'm very uh, passive aggressive with it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I mean, at least you at least you can acknowledge that. <laughs> but I'm I'm definitely working with more creative types and more sensitive people. They're not oh very, yeah, you know, uh, business minded people, and it's easy to uh, not offend someone but hurt feelings. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that sounds like everyone's like a wimp and stuff, but it's but people are more open and more. It's kind of like when I work with uh, Zach Baggins from Ghost Adventures. Mm-hmm. Everyone says he fakes it, but then his his response is, "I'm so sensitive. I keep my my energy and my my body so sensitive to accept these uh, paranormal energies from every place I go to." Huh. And so so he's he's like this. He has this heightened sensitivity in regards to his energy. So he can uh, receive paranormal interactions easier. Hmm. So I feel like that's how it is working with creative types. <laughs> yeah, a, l- a little extra sensitivity. They have their their emotions are heightened. They're, they need access to the emotions uh, easier when they're writing or when they're acting or when they're, you know, directing. They, like the emotions need to be there so it's conveyed well at the end product. So that's what I mean by feelings. Damn, that's actually a super interesting, uh, uh, man, I would actually, I, I want to write that down somewhere. Well, I guess I can just review the episode. Uh, to, right, to we're recording this. this. Just, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Atish, this is a podcast. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh man, that's super interesting. I want to write that down. It's like, oh wait, no, I'm literally creating a record of what we're talking <laughs> about right now as we speak. Um, yeah, I actually want to, uh, I want to go into that at a, at a different, at a different time because I think that that's, there's interesting like it's almost like a perpendicular sort of arrangement right because in my line of work I've almost coached myself and like for other people you kind of develop this like mind of like that you need to be a little bit more like stoic about things like I only engage on the stuff that I can change right I'm not going to care about all the other stuff because there's a lot going on in my company right now there's a lot going on with leadership there's a lot of potential stressors and stuff like that but I'm not going to worry about any of that because I can't change any of it I can't affect any of it so right. I, I end up actually removing like emotions from my day-to-day work because in, in like my sort of line it's like you start to think especially when you get more customer interactions like I do, like when I'm speaking with chiefs of police or like procurement officers or something like that, it's like you start to get, you know, sometimes they're going to tell you straight to your face because they're very non-bullshit people. They'll tell you like, you know what? This is starting to look like a shell game. I really don't like the idea of you bullshitting me, whatever. It's like you kind of have to have thicker skin and I have to, because at first I would get really emotionally distraught over that, but I had to remove myself from it a little bit. Uh-huh. But it's but it's interesting that it's kind of diametrically opposed in the creative side of things that you you by nature of, you know, whether you're a writer or whether you're doing videos or, you know, music or whatever, it's like by nature you kind of have to allow yourself to be more emotional inside of your work. Or be more uh, willing to accept emotion or recognize emotion or allow yourself to, you know, just let yours out a little bit. Hmm. It's just just being sensitive to it. It's not so much that you need to be super emotional, but you just need to be uh, super sensitive to it, like like an awareness almost. Right. Hmm. That's really interesting. I uh, I'm not going to write that down because we have this. Available, we are recording it, but I am going to remember to listen to this episode back so that I can think of a future. Because uh, I I, I want to look into that a little bit further. That's uh, that's really interesting. Do you have any uh, winner wins or learns from uh, this week? Do you do you feel like you've uh, have a solution to your learn, or are you just gonna continue to micromanage this guy? Oh no, you know what? Actually, see, that's kind of the thing. It's I think you're right in that like our motivations are intrinsically different, right? Uh-huh. So so therefore, maybe what he's getting out of the job is totally different than what I'm getting out of it. So maybe just doing things like, you know, because the way that it works in my mind is like, well, if we, uh, like, I'm constantly trying to push the boundaries on what my position means and what it looks like. So I'm like, if I can accomplish more, if I can do more faster, more accurate, if I can make more ripples out in the business that like impacts things in a positive manner and gets everything running out smoother, more, you know, uh, efficient. Right. Then, then that means a whole lot to me, but maybe that might not mean that much to this guy. Is there anything in his department that, uh, motivations like that would benefit him? 
Or is it just something that makes you look better? I mean, it would make him look better as well, but that's sort of the thing. That's what I mean. He's not really, it doesn't seem like he's interested in that. Right. He's kind of this guy who like, you know, um, he'll show up at nine and he's clocking out at five. Like he's doing exactly what. Does the bare minimum. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't mean that in necessarily like a, a shitty way, but. What's know. asked of him. He's doing what's asked of him. Exactly. exactly. He's not going above and beyond. So which is I, fine. Yeah. Hey, that's totally fine. I, I get it. You know, not everyone makes, you know, their job, their life or not everyone has that same kind of that same push. But I need to figure out a way to kind of communicate with him on like a level that would matter to him. Like maybe it doesn't matter to him that like, you know, oh, I want to get the X recognition from the company or I want to be known as a guy who really gets shit done. You uh-huh. know, maybe, maybe something that matters more to him is like, hey, uh, you know, if we like really nail down our process and if we get more smooth and efficient with this sort of thing, it probably will free up a lot of time. You might not have to do as much overtime, like all, all this kind of stuff. Like maybe I can appeal to that sense or maybe, um, you know, then that, that makes you you're not the guy that gets stuff done. You're the guy that gets everyone to get stuff done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, which is probably another step you want to take at some point i mean eventually that's that's kind of the idea so you're not just this lone ranger out in the middle of nowhere right exactly like it's like i kind of have to demonstrate that i i have the ability to kind of get people on the same page and that because it's like if i try and do all the work myself you get the product of one person working really hard but right. if i get a bunch of people to be on the same team we're all working with a like mindset and we're doing whatever i mean the effects will be you know much larger so I, I think this is just one of those lessons in, you know, kind of early on leadership, like, you know, because this, this is like removed from like, you know, pretty high level leadership or anything like that. But it's like, how do I kind of communicate goal sets to somebody who might not have the same interests that I do, uh-huh. you know, and, and how do I do that? So maybe maybe a different communication approach, maybe maybe more frequent check ins, but with a softer touch, you know, to your point, like. Not maybe asking them, framing it more like, how can I support him such that he gets what he needs out of the job and that he's, uh, you know, wh- whether that means maybe like, oh, he wants to spend more time at home or like not working or whatever. It's like, okay, that's that's fine if that's it's odd because it's not the same kind of, like to me, it's not the same kind of like, I want to put everything into this and just like, you know, grind away. It's It's different, but like, you know, maybe I can frame things in a different way to kind of see how I can better support him such that now we're, we're kind of working. A team. Yeah. We're a team. We're working together. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Let's, I'm, I do have a lot of stuff that I have to work with him on this next week. So I'm going to try and kind of reframe, like take the weekend, you know, we, we took a breather. I'm going to reframe my approach, you know, starting Monday and see where that gets me. Uh-huh. So Let's yeah. see. For me, my win of the week, I finished a rewrite of this feature I want to make. Awesome. Of uh, I need to come up with a new title, but Dirty Harriet has a new draft. Mm. Draft two. So that's pretty exciting. Now it kind of uh, lifts that weight off my shoulder so I can move forward and work on other projects. So it's mm. kind of exciting. Because you usually write a draft and then let it sit there for like a month and then you can go back to it at some point. Yeah. But... um. I think my learn for the week was I, I learned something from another podcast I was listening to uh, that's put out by the New York Times. It's called Still Processing, and it's about these two culture writers, and they're two you know, cool black people talking about <laughs> cultural events in, uh, in the country. Huh. And they were talking about uh, Aunt Jemima getting a rebrand and all that fun stuff. Mm, yeah. But I think the thing they said in the podcast that was really interesting to me was uh, it's really easy to hit the delete button on something. So like you can take Aunt Jemima off the bottle, but that mm. doesn't erase all the 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 troublesome that came with having that as your logo for all these years. Yeah, yeah. Like basically a, a sort of uh, minstrel kind of icon as as a brand, essentially. Yeah. Right. And then like real people actually played this character and went off to like world fairs and like introduced products. And, and like, Oh, I was totally unaware of that. Yeah, there were there was a few decades of that. And so I think six people played Aunt Jemima. It was interesting. It's interesting to look at the history of it all. Huh. And so. Uh, their point was, if you delete this character now, you're kind of forgetting that history and how 
big of a deal it was in the early 1900s for a black person to actually be the face of a brand. Yeah. Oh, you know, stuff like you that. Know, I never even thought of it like that. And so uh, for me, what my takeaway was, uh, you can't delete something, but you have to do the, the work to kind of reframe your thinking and your presentation of stuff you're creating. Mm. So like this I Harriet mean, that- movie is a cop movie. And yeah. so uh, am, am I going to present a cop that's very uh, above the law, crosses the line? Mm. Or can I reframe my story to that, that aligns more with what the moment calls for? Mm. So not completely pressing delete, basically. You're not right. you're not completely scrapping it because uh, because, you know, that that would also not necessarily represent kind of all, all the other stuff that that, you know, the work that's gone into this and also the ideas that you're trying to present here. Right. But you're refra- reframing it to kind of mean actually what you're intending as opposed to like you know, the, the complicated implications of the character. Right, exactly. And, you know, reframing it to where it's going to align more with the audience of not just today, but of the future, hopefully. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not looking back and thinking, man, those, that was cool, but kind of looking forward to be like, oh, this is what the future could be. Man, that's, that's super interesting. Like, I, 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 I guess I, I've never really thought about it that way because it's, I'm always looking backwards, right? Not forwards. So mm-hmm. for instance, I can watch a movie, like I think uh, Gone with the Wind got pulled from a lot of streaming services because of uh, complicated racial overtones and things like that. Um, and, uh, and so it's easy to look backwards on something and be like, oh man, that didn't age well, or, or that was, you know, but it's super difficult to be in the position that you're in and think about like, how does this communicate the message that I want in the future? And like, what does this communicate about the time that we're living in right now? Right. Um, and that's why, that's why books like uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird are super important, right? Because uh, it's, it's not just conveying uh, ideas about what's going on during that time, but it's also thought provoking about what, can we change or what can we do for the future? Right. Hmm. Super interesting, so, man. That's yeah. So it's, it's, I, uh, you know, taking it upon myself to have that conversation, the difficult conversations and do that work as opposed to getting an audience to do it. Mm. It's like, if I do it, they're just going to hop on for the ride, hopefully. Yeah. And then they have their own conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not expecting them to do the work for me. Tell me what needs to be changed. I'm going to figure it out myself and then put that out there. Huh. So that's what I, I got from the take from that conversation of not just hitting delete. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you have to do kind of like you're taking it upon yourself to do the legwork to like, all right, this it's going to make my process a little bit more complicated here. It's not going to be as smooth as like I originally thought that I've got this script. I'm going to do this with it. But that therefore you're kind of making more. Uh, not only more lasting work, but also something that is like creatively very relevant. Right. It's, it's going to be more meaningful uh, and it's just going to have another layer of thought behind it. I mean, I've already put this much work into it and putting just a little bit more thought into it and changing, tweaking a few little things here or there that still aligns with the vision is not a big deal. Mm. It just takes a little bit of work. Interesting. Yeah. That's uh that's super cool, man. I, I, uh, uh, I'm excited to see what you get out of your next uh, draft and and kind of how this progresses. Did you guys have, end up making a decision on, you know, I mean, you said you're not going to shoot anything this year, obviously. Right. We're not going to shoot anything this year, but we made a decision on uh, like a slate of films, like the first three pictures we want to make once we can yeah. make movies again. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like right now we have uh, the mummy movies on Amazon Prime now. But we haven't Sweet. told anybody yet because we're going to do a benefit screening, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the goal is to make another monster comedy movie, whether it's a rom-com or just a straight up comedy. Mm-hmm. Or, and then another goal is to make this Harriet movie, uh, hopefully with a different title or yeah. maybe not with a different title. Who knows? Yeah. And then we have a, a musical in mind that we're going to attempt to get a local band to do some cool music that has a unique sound and then try and make a unique musical set in the Southwest and kind of all the culture we have here as opposed to, you know, 
your cookie cutter. Let me let me revisit the nineteen fifties and Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like kind of the same. Like, okay, we're gonna do like the yeah the the tap dancing, same old, same old kind of uh, musical that I think everyone has seen a million times. It's like you're gonna frame it specifically in the culture and the the history of you know where we live. Right, and we're still gonna have those moments where there might be tap dancing and whatnot, but it's gonna be. <laughs> It's going to be in a different setting, and it and it's going to feel different. Hopefully, yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I, man, uh, a musical seems really hard to get together because it's like it's not only then organizing the story as you would in anything else, but then it's also organizing musical pieces that tell the story of what you're doing. I mean, that's a whole different skill set, right? So you know, we're you, we're growing, we're growing, we're learning that's all that awesome, fun man. stuff. Yeah, that's that's great. That's that's super exciting. Well, we'll have to link uh, link to the uh, the mummy movie on Amazon once the the benefit streaming's figured out and everything like that. Um, maybe that'll be posted in the comments. Who knows? <laughs> probably it probably won't. It's not going to happen until uh, mid August, so we have a couple weeks to get it. All right. Well, you'll find it on a later episode then. <laughs> but if you if you want to do your uh, do some uh, digging, it's definitely on Amazon Prime. Just type in Eddie Mummy. Eddie Mummy, a love story uh, on Amazon now. Leave a review, please. Yeah, absolutely. Five stars will fucking kill you. No, I'm kidding. No, we won't. No, we won't. <laughs> uh, cool, man. Well, it's actually, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about Elephant Scout because, uh, like I said, I kind of wanted to drill down a little bit deeper into specific parts of the Elephant Scout origin story because I think last time we were talking about, you know, um, how you kind of made this transition, right, from employee to entrepreneur and especially in like a creative field. And uh -huh. that's something that, you know, I particularly struggle with. And I think a lot of people struggle with, um, you know, knowing when something's right and knowing when this is the right time and stuff like that. So these might be, you know, A, you're remembering everything in post, so it's not happening right now to you. So who knows, you know, how your viewpoints on these things have changed. But I kind of just wanted to pick your brain on things like, um, you know, when did you when did you kind of make this transition from Elephant Scout being, you know, something that you were doing on the side ostensibly, if that even was the case, I guess I'm not even really sure, to it being your like full time occupation? Like when, when did that occur and, and how did that go? So when you talk to other people in this creative field and they start a production company, especially straight out of college. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes, we got to start a production company. I'll do this. I'll be the salesman. I'll be the camera guy. I'll be the sound guy. So everybody has their roles and then they all want to go off and of course make money because that's what yeah. we need to do to survive. So when you talk to people fresh out of film school, a lot of them are kind of just trying to make commercials and like PSA spots and just, make these cinematic commercials, which are uh, hard to do at a local level. Mm. I mean, we all see the news, the local news and top of that, the local commercials are not that great. And <laughs> I never went through that. I never had that desire to be a commercial producing company. I just wanted to make movies because I always thought, you know, there are painters, artists in town, that make paintings every weekend and they, they're able to have galleries and sell them. It's mm -hmm. like, why can't we do that with movies? And at the time when we were getting out, when I was getting out of film school, it was like early 2000s, 2006, 2007, the process of making a film was still kind of really relatively expensive. Digital cameras weren't at the level they are now to where you can just go out and buy a $3,000 camera and shoot a movie on it. It was a different time back then. So it, it, at the time, it was a harder sell to my fellow film people that we can just go out and make movies and then sell them and then make more movies and then sell those. And it still is a hard thing to get through to everyone my age because it's kind of it's a rough market, man. It's a rough market. Yeah. Yeah. So the side hustle for me was always making commercials or working for nonprofits or working at live events and doing corporate stuff. But I always consider that just me as a person and not so much Elephant Scout, the film company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The film company has always been there to do movie stuff, creative films, not commercials and stuff like that. Interesting. So, so essentially in your kind of uh, 
Like that actually brings us right to the title of the podcast, right? So like in the desire to be in, like your your desire to keep your uh, your production company focused and keep your production company completely pure on the type of stuff that you wanted to work at, you didn't want to sacrifice that for a level of ramen profitability that like, oh, we can make money off of commercials and stuff like that at Elephant Scout. You kept those two things separate. Right. I tried to keep them separate. There was some overlap every once in a while. Uh, people would ask me, do you run a company? I would say yes. And then I would do their corporate video and then they would just attach my company's name to it. Mm. But but it's never something I put on an Elephant Scout website. I so see. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's where the muddiness comes from. But I try to keep them separate. I because I, I still believe in I'm you know as, for as long as I've been doing this I'm still I'm still that guy I'm pretty stubborn that I can go <laughs> out and make some movies and sell them and make some money off of it so we can make more movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so so here's really the I guess the thing that is of super big interest to me and and kind of what I'd be curious and and I wonder if this is like. I can imagine this goes two ways, right? Like either this is going to be an answer that is super uh, flushed out and either like very strategic or it's going to be one of those things that like anything in life, you know, like, oh, you just you just sort of feel it. You just sort of feel it. Right. And that's and that's kind of the tricky thing with life is that with a lot of things, it's not about um, it's not often about like, oh, I've got all the signs, right? We're making this much money year over year. We're selling, we're doing this much in sales. It's time to IPO. Like with a lot of things, you don't have these kind of like direct markers, especially with real early stage startups and real early stage entrepreneurial ventures and things like that. You don't have these kind of markers. So I guess, you know, what I'm really curious about is how did you, what were the signs to you, if there were any, there might not have been, that you really had something here, that you were like, okay, my stories are something worth telling, I really want to, you know, how, how did you convey that to yourself that it's like, okay, I have uh, a, a unique voice, I have movies that are worth, you know, a story worth telling, I have anything like that. How did that, those initial sort of conversations go with yourself or maybe with others? So back back in the day, I would make some uh, silly short films that you know I would share with uh, friends. I had like a DVD burner, and I would burn them to DVD or to a CD that could be read on a DVD player. And I would mm-hmm. be like, "Hey, watch this!" And I made like these spoof TV show episodes of this uh, '60s British television show. The uh, it's called The Avengers. Not so, related to Marvel's no, the not Avengers. at all. No, the, okay. those Avengers were way cooler. It was like a. <laughs> There was a movie made with like Sean Connery was a bad guy and he was like a weather guy and he was trying to destroy the world with weather and Uma Thurman was in it with uh, Ralph Fiennes. Oh, man. And, yeah. Uh, uh, the TV show was better. So I made some <laughs> uh, spoof episodes of that and then we shared them with friends and all the friends really enjoyed them and they asked for more. Uh, I went to film school and from day one, it was a lot of positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that was pretty good. Uh, there'd be a class assignment where you shoot it in the class, in the middle of class, and you just make something up, and everyone's like, oh, that was pretty good. You should keep doing these type of things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was kind of, it wasn't, uh, I think for me it was, you know, being able to share something and getting a response that it was worth me doing kind of made me feel like this was possible. Mm. So I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people do to do is to share their work. Yeah. Especially creative people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I made this mummy movie four years ago and just now I'm barely comfortable enough to share it with the world, even though yeah. we had a screening. And so I think uh, just, I guess by luck or by chance, just being willing to share something and, and get feedback on it kind of made me feel like this is worth pursuing. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's that's sort of that that uh, kind of real o- early onset, early stage sort of thing that that you have to be able to kind of validate those ideas against something, but you also can't let yourself get entirely too discouraged. So that's it's this weird kind of tightrope that you end up walking, right? Because you you have to push yourself and you have to motivate yourself to share these things and share these ideas, and you have to also simultaneously be comfortable with the fact that you might not always get like positive affirmations, but that 
that process in doing so is actually what's validating your stuff and will make you better at your craft. Right, right. Huh. So because because that's kind of the stage that I struggle with the most is how do I know that something because arguably a lot of the stuff that I'm trying to engage in or a lot of the stuff that I'm thinking of, it's not the first time this has ever been done. I'm not inventing fire here. You know what I mean? But then, so then I have this kind of internal conversation that it's like, okay, is this actually an idea that's, you know, and, and sometimes I think I really frame it the, the wrong way. And I think that might be the problem is that I frame it like, well, could I actually make money doing this? And I'm sure that that's the case for a lot of people. You obviously have to worry about your finances to some degree or another. But I think I'm asking the wrong questions first. You know what I mean? That I think maybe the first questions that you have to be asking yourself is, is this something valid? Am I solving a problem or am I enriching something in some certain way? Am I making something better? Am I, you know, that sort of, that sort of idea. And did you have that kind of idea starting out that you, you know, like, not necessarily that there was a problem that you were solving, but obviously you had a difference of opinion as, you know, most of your peers that, yeah, no, we don't have to immediately hop into this kind of low level commercial work to be able to be, you know, making money or to be doing something. It's like, you can be doing this, just this creative work and still like you can, you can hold yourself kind of this integrity to your craft or whatever you happen to be doing, but you can simultaneously then also turn it into something that can be a business or can be something that's that's profitable, even in this side of the industry. Right. Um, I don't know. I guess for me, the thing I always have done, and it hasn't really been, uh, didn't really get worded for me until uh, maybe after I got out of film school and I went to that screenwriting conference and I met this guy that wrote this book on screenwriting. And it's a basic book on screenwriting. Everyone has one. They're, you know, they're a dime a dozen. They're all not that good. But this one was interesting to me because it, what he does is he looks, he watched a ton of movies and he made notes. He would love this. He made a chart as to when certain uh, story moments happen. It's like, this is the inciting incident. When does it happen in these 16 movies that I just watched? Mm. And it all happened around minute 15. And so he made this thing called a beat sheet to where he kind of broke down the average of when things would hit on a story and a movie. So you can just kind of fill in the blanks and kind of get you there. And uh, that's not what I'm trying to get to there. But he had this saying, uh, you know, because everyone says, you know, every, every story has been told before. There's like, what, seven stories you can tell or four stories you can tell. I don't know what the thing is. But yeah. his, his shtick was, uh, give me the same thing, but different. Like, here's the formula to Dirty Harry. Give me this movie, but different. And so you would fill in all the beats, the story beats, but how do you make it your own? How do you change it to where it's something that you can put your name on it? Mm. And so, you know, I made my protagonist a female. I made her an older woman. You know, all that cool, fun stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know what that reminds me of? Um, on CSS, you can find it uh over 50 episodes of content or whatever it is you said almost last i think it's 60 dude is it 60 yeah wow we were creativize strategize synergize that's yeah. what css stands for go look it up on your local podcast provider but uh we have an episode where we talk about blue ocean strategy uh-huh and and that's the, i mean that's really what you're what you're talking about here because it's uh like the the classic example that um, I always think of when I think of like when I try to explain Blue Ocean to somebody else is that I always think of the Cirque du Soleil example, right? It's like they took the concept of a traveling circus that was super, uh, there was super competitive at the time. There was like millions of them. And um, so it was just oversaturated and it was a very low profit idea. They took that and then they made it into something, they rebranded it as something that's like fine art and like high end. And then therefore it was really the first and only of its kind. So then they could actually charge more for it and people were interested in it more because it was the only thing out there like it. So that's kind of what I think of when you say something like same, but give me the same thing, but different. Right. Is that you're you're really kind of then making these stories 
their own blue ocean. That's like you're taking a, a, a story that, you know, is maybe one of the four or seven or 12 or whatever the number is. Whatever uh, that number is. I got to look it up. Yeah, of the, of the same stories, but you're really turning it into something, you know, kind of not done before. Right. Yeah, see, that's actually, that's where I find myself currently. I have an idea for, uh, and, and something that I'm usually, because usually my ideas for businesses or for my, are kind of more consultative or kind of more like, um, I, I'm taking something that I have expertise in and adding it to what someone else is already providing. This idea that I have is actually unique to me because it's the first time I've had an idea that's completely independent of anything else. It's just, uh-huh. in fact, it's the first time I've had an idea that's a product. I've never had an idea that's a product before, like a physical, tangible thing. But the reason why I'm intrigued by this idea is um, is that uh, I think it's Blue Ocean because I've been doing some, and it's it's not reinventing the wheel, it's not inventing fire, it's not something completely, but it is finding some Blue Ocean territory for me to exist in. And so the reason why I'm kind of asking these, kind of pulling the threads on the Chris Scott origin story, or rather the... Uh, the Elephant Scout origin story. We'll get into the Chris Scott origin story some other time, I guess. No, no, we won't. <laughs> um, but, but the reason why I'm pulling those threads is because what I don't want to do is fall into the same trap that I normally do, which is that I, uh, th- I think that like, oh, this isn't really unique or this isn't something that is achievable or something like that. So it's like, I want to make sure I'm asking the right questions of myself and then doing the legwork to get myself to the right place where I'm not thinking that this is something that I should back away from. Right. Because when you, and is that when you, when, when I say same, but different there, there are multiple levels to that. Right. So it doesn't have to like be on paper, just different. Like you can be the different part. It's like, Oh, it's cause I'm doing it. This is why it's going to be different. Mm. So you can apply your personality to a product if you want and why your personality would benefit from a product like this or your product could be framed in a way to where you market it towards a audience that's never been exposed to that before. So that's how it could be different uh, for you. You go, you know, you look at uh, like Tony Robbins selling B12 on his website and he just marks up the price because he's Tony Robbins and you can go to CVS and get it, you know, for a fraction of the price. Yeah. But you know, but nobody wants to do the research. So then is it, it's the personality that's kind of really selling a product as opposed to the product itself. Is he really selling B12? I think so. I had no idea. I thought he was just doing kind of the, the conferences and the, that sort of stuff. He's, I think he's got a store on his website where he sells all sorts of stuff like that. You should look it up, you know? So it's, it's, so when I say same, but different for me in storytelling, it's, it's obviously, uh, how do I tell a buddy cop story? Or how do I tell a rom-com different? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do I do it differently? How do I, what elements do I add to this soup to make it unique? So mm. I make a rom-com, there's a mummy in it. I make a buddy cop movie, it's a mom and a son. So it's like, how do you, you know, find your different? Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually a really good way to, to put it. It's like you're finding your specific difference, right? It's, not, it's right. not just like, let me see how I can tweak this to make sure that it's just different than whatever's out there. You're specifically, it's like a targeted difference. You're doing something, and that's, that's kind of what this is doing. And sooner rather than later, I mean, uh, not going to announce on, on this podcast, A, because don't want anyone to steal my idea, but B. Which uh, is I, uh, the most amateur thing you could say. Is it really? Yeah. I think so, especially with uh, like screenwriting and story ideas. People mm. that are afraid to share their story ideas, they're, uh, they're the worst. They never do anything, and they always keep it all inside to themselves. Mm. Well, okay. Uh, actually, for my main reason, I didn't want to, uh, to put it out there, but it's like we're a little long in the tooth on the episode, so I want to actually like fully Yeah, let's save it out. for next week. Let's save it for next time. Okay, but what's, what I find is interesting about this is that it does have the the product in and of itself isn't actually unique. It, it it is probably unique in the specific way that I'm you know doing something, but that's not the difference. The difference is the market segment that I'm trying to address, and uh-huh. that's so the product is different. It's tweaked a little bit from other stuff, but but anyone who like you said, anyone who does the research and really gets deep into the well here could 
figure out how to do this for themselves. I'm not at all pretending that that's not the case. But that's it's the first of its kind to be specifically targeted and formulated towards this market segment. And that's why I think it, it can actually be something. You're right. So that's, that's, uh, have you, have you, have you, so like when I made my first, uh, short films that are terrible, but people enjoyed watching, mm-hmm. have you shared this idea with people in this audience to see if there would be interest for it or if it would be received well? Uh, I've only shared it with one person in this audience segment, um, and I was going to expand, but COVID made that very complicated, and this will all become very apparent w- next week. All right, so they're not socks. You're not <laughs> no inventing a new pair of socks. Okay. No, you know me. I don't wear socks. Oh, that's true. That's why I assumed you made new ones. Oh, yeah. Maybe, so you maybe can wear I... socks where you don't feel like you're wearing socks. Yeah, the the sockless sock. No, um, I I found one person who uh, I kind of thought could be a great kind of internal advocate or could at least provide me a lot of feedback. Um, And they really liked the idea because they're they're of an adjacent. So kind of like when we're talking about the the Cirque du Soleil story, you know, it's like this person is already part of the adjacent market segment. So in this case, that would be like traveling carnivals or something per the example of the Cirque du Soleil. So they're already part of that group. So getting them over to be part of my market segment would be a natural transition once it's, once it's uh, blue ocean and once it's flushed out. So uh, I kind of, I talked it over with this person and they were really interested in the idea and even offered to be like kind of a bleeding edge tester for me. So I'm trying to accumulate several of those because um, I've already been doing some personal testing and trialing inside my own home, but that really only gets you so far because I can only see things through my particular lens. You know what I right, mean? So, right. so to your point, actually, you know, I'm reaching a stage where it's like, if I continue to do this thing where I'm like, oh, I don't want to share my work or not this, not yet, too soon, you know, or uh, I don't want someone to steal my ideas or any of those kind of lazy excuses, that's actually really going to hinder progress here and quick uh, because it's, it's, you know, we're we're reaching a stage where you can only make progress by by making those first short films or by by burning those DVDs, right, for your friends. It's like you need to get that initial reception to even prove any sort of validity or or anything like that, or even to like get you to keep going. Right. So it's you know it's uh, but COVID kind of threw a, a big monkey wrench because I had a lot of other people that I wanted to address with this, but now I, it's not that I can't, but you'll, it'll, it'll all be clear next week. Oh wait, so you're going to share it next week. We're going to find out what the secret product is next week. We're going to talk about the secret product. And you know, I think I may have even, um, there may have been an episode of CSS that I, I didn't, I don't think I realized what I was talking about yet fully, but I think I had the initial idea back then. All right. I think I, I think I, I think I know, I, I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah. But, um, well, but we'll definitely talk about it next week. Yes. We'll definitely talk about it next week uh, on Ramen Profitable. So we'll, I'll kind of talk about my project that's ongoing, uh, the idea behind it, why I think uh, it's Blue Ocean. Uh, so what, what makes it the same thing, but, but different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I would, I would love to hear your feedback on it and any sort of ideas that you have. And especially maybe how I can get around these obstacles that COVID are, which, you know, that's an open-ended question. I don't expect you to have all the answers, but, uh, but you think differently than me. So it, it might be really valuable to kind of run it yeah. by you. Give it a go. Give it a go. Well, before we uh, completely wrap up here, anything, uh, you know, anything you want to plug, anything uh, going on for you right now? Uh, right now, I think maybe just check out my Instagram and all the crazy, wacky new things we're doing with our social media manager. That's uh, at Elephant Scout, and we're using at Elephant Scout, and we're using all our old film clips or all films that we put out in the open to make memes out of them. So I think it's uh, pretty silly. <laughs> it, it can be the the levity that people need right now because uh, it's it's a complicated time. So so if you want some uh, some levity in your day, go check out Elephant Scout, and then uh, 
Eddie Mummy's on Amazon right now? It's on Amazon for sure right now, but I'm not really telling anybody till after. I think I'm going to do this uh, benefit show through another platform because you uh, you get more money back out of it. Oh, okay. All right. So well, then forget still, I said Eddie Mummy. I'm still. Uh, you can watch it if you want and leave a positive review. It's on Amazon for sure. But uh, I just got to figure out the benefit show part of it. Mm, okay. Very cool. Well. Uh, for me, I don't really have anything necessarily to plug. Uh, the only things that I, you know, really what I'm trying to do is nail down what uh, what I'm trying to achieve with Ramen Profitable and kind of map out more episodes in the future. So uh, really the only thing I'm plugging is the same thing that I'm on right now. I'm, I'm plugging the podcast, the very same one that you're listening to at this moment. Um, hit subscribe, like, Give us some comments, feedback, whatever. If there's something in particular you want to hear about or you want to hear our take on, you know, shoot us an email or hit me up on uh, Instagram, I guess, on at Atish Mazish, A-T-I-S-H-M-A-Z-I-S-H. And uh, we can talk all things ramen profitable. 